Welcome to The Romantic Side of Suspense with Sarah Hemmerker. In each episode, she'll talk with your favorite romantic suspense authors. They will take you behind the scenes of the writing process, giving excerpts from their writing, and share stories about their writing life. The Patent by P.S. Wells and Max Garwood One man stands between a desperate enemy and the perfect weapon. Attorney and inventor Mark Wayne submits a patent with far-reaching military applications. His ideas do not go unnoticed, and he's kidnapped by a foreign government seeking to build his invention. Wayne's sister, Mallory Wayne, is a young FBI agent thrust into the middle of her brother's abduction. If she fails to find her only family member, a new global power will threaten the world. Hi, and welcome to this episode of The Romantic Side of Suspense. I'm your host, Sarah Hamricker, and I'm so glad you joined me. Today I have with me Peggy Sue Wells. She's a USA Today and Wall Street Journal bestselling author, and we're here to talk about her newest romantic suspense and a lot of other things related to writing. So welcome to my show, Peggy Sue. Sarah, it is so much fun to spend time with you. We're going to get to talk shop. Yes, I love talking shop. So um, let's let's start with the the um, one of your newer uh, romantic suspenses is the patent. So and I noticed that you write it with someone else. So I'm curious, how do you do that? <laughs> how did yeah, that come about? I, Tell us all. Oh, uh, here's what's interesting about the patent. Um, and I've got a cover so you can see the cover. I love the cover. If you get a chance to look at the cover, I spent a lot of time getting just the right cover for the mm -hmm. patent. And um, most of my books out of the 30 that have my name on them, half of those are collaborations. And then all my ones that don't have my name on them, I've collaborated generally to tell somebody else's story for them because they're not a writer. So I take their story and I write it for them. So I write well with others. And uh, that's how the patent came along. My friend Max Garwood is, he is an engineer, he's a patent attorney, he's a pilot. The man is just super, super smart. And um, he and his wife are some of my very best friends on the planet. And he called me one day and he said, I've got this idea for, for a, a, a novel. And he tells me this plot and I'm like, oh my gosh, Max. That's brilliant. I said, you write it up. You're a lot smarter than I am. I know you're not a writer, but you write it. Give it to me. I'll take your rough stuff. I'll turn it into a publishable book. And he said, no, I'm an engineer. It has 10 bullet points. Here's the 10 bullet points. You write the book. So I'm like, okay, then. So I start writing away and I would, you know, get into it and I get the characters and I got the setting and all the good stuff and good dialogue going and the sidekick and the whole thing. And I will send him chapters. And so Max would read those over and occasionally he'd send me something back over email. And then every so often he would say, can you come over? So I would go over to their house and he would have printed out the pages. They're bloodied up with his red pen. Max and Barb and I will sit at the table. We drink Earl Grey tea because that's our thing. And we would talk about stuff. And so at one point Max would say, well, they wouldn't use this weapon. Um, Max said, they wouldn't use this weapon. They would use a different weapon. I'm like, okay, what? He's like, just a minute. And he works with the military all the time. He's all about communications with them and stuff. And so he brings me something and he kablam, sets it down in front of me. And he said, they would use this weapon. And I'm like, awesome, Max, what is this? And so he'll go through how it works. And then um, another time he would come to me and he'll say, 
well, why didn't the bad guy do such and such? And I'm like, oh man, the bad guy would have done that because he's smarter than I am. I didn't put it in there because I didn't think of it, but you're right. So I would write this great plot twist in there that the bad guy would do. And then I would lay on the couch for three days because I just wrote myself into a corner because these people are smarter than I am. I have no idea how to get out of it. So finally I get my good guy back out from that twist and we move forward. So we're about two thirds of the way through the book. And I'm at Max and Barb's and we're drinking real great tea and we're talking about the book. And Max says to me, so hey Sue, is there gonna be any romance in this book? <laughs> and I just kind of like, right? I just sit back and I'm like, didn't even occur to me, Max, to put romance in it, but it did occur to Max. And, you know, so here's the engineer who's thinking we need romance in this. I'm like, yeah, you're right. We do. So we did. There's just enough in there that you'll like it. And you're wondering, like, is it going to be with these two or these two? And who's going to actually be the ones to fall in love and live happily ever after? And so that's how the patent came about. It came about because of Max's idea. And the fun thing about it is that in August, Gunrunner, which is the sequel to the patent, that will release. Six months after that, uh, the next one, which is called The Embolus, will release. And then six months after that, there's another one called Choice that will release. So we've got about six or seven plots that we've already like outlined and ready to go. So you will be hearing more about Mark Wayne, and we're just calling it the Mark Wayne Adventure Series. And there will be more books where we get to watch Mark Wayne and his sister Mallory be the unlikely people stuck in some sort of a situation that they need to use their wits to save the world. Yeah. <laughs> I love that story. And I think what it highlights um, for me, and you sounds like you kind of had this little epiphany as well, is that sometimes writers need to hear from people who aren't writers, <laughs> you know, to, to really kind of, you know, give us that great idea or just to comment. We're like, right. Rom romance that, that would be a great subplot in this, you know, thriller or suspenseful book. And sometimes it's just, I think that I, while I love talking to writers, I also enjoy talking about writing with others because they just bring in readers and, and all kinds of people because they just bring a, such a different perspective, which I think can be very helpful for us as writers. And a lot of really good input that we get as writers are from readers. Readers may not be writers, but they know a good story. They know a good book. They know what they want to read. They know what they want to see. And so if we listen, they will tell us. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think a lot of listening is always good. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Might not take everything, but it's always, always great. Always great to listen. So now, um, are not all of your books are collaborations. Have you written any single titles or all, all of them collaborations? Yeah, about half of mine are collaborations and half are not. And another book that I have that came out before the patent, which is a fiction story that just is a story of my heart, something that I totally love is called um, Chasing Sunrise. Mm. And in all of my books, as people start reading through my novels, they're all standalones. But if you really pay attention, there is a character 
that you'll hear something about them, a line about them or a name, or you'll see the character that is in, um, that's in Chasing Sunrise, that's a minor character, important but minor, but he has a much bigger part in choice. And so, yeah, so they kind of like can play off one another that way. And I enjoy doing that, but again, nobody has to read one to connect it to another. But for me as an author, it allowed there's to be some sort of a co cohesion to my novels to go, okay, you know, there's, there's, there's a, a, a relational glue that holds it together so that I sort of had something to anchor myself to mm. as the author. Mm. So yeah, Chasing Sunrise um, came out before this one and you will find a character in there. And then um, I also did um, Homeless for the Holidays, which is a sweet little novella that comes out and is really good for sharing at Christmas time. But uh, book clubs have liked these. They've liked the patent a lot. They have liked Chasing Sunrise. And um, I enjoy getting together with book clubs. And it's fun now that we do a lot more things on Zoom because we can get together and talk about plot and character and what their thoughts are and what they would like to see happen next. So how do you, so let's, um, that's, I, I love that, uh, Peggy Sue, but let's talk a little bit more about how do you connect with the book clubs? Do they find you? Do you find them? How do you, as an author, how do you make those connections? That's kind of one of those things where you find readers for one, and then you just mm -hmm. let your readers know, are okay. you guys part of a book club? Because I'm available. Let Barnes and Noble know your local book stores, because they know about their book clubs. Talk to the librarian. They know about book clubs too and just say, I'm available. And then also, of course, look it up on um, social media. You can find book clubs that are available there that have their, their, um, their Facebook pages and their clubs and what have you. But yeah, they love to talk to authors and, and find out all the stuff. And one of the things that I did in the patent, I got this really lovely review from a reader and the reader said, this book contains one of the best well-rounded villains I have read in a long time. And I was like, yes, they got it because I have a villain who is clearly the bad guy, but you know what? He starts out with all the right intentions, has yeah. all the right reasons. His heart is in the right place. He's doing it for all the right reasons. And so each novel that we write as authors, you know, we get to explore themes and we get to explore what does this mean? And Part of what I explored in this book is that what kind of decisions that we make and when we when we make a decision, does that decision sometimes, even if it's a good one, go sideways? How often do we make a decision based on external internal pressures that take us in a direction where we get further down the line and we're like, whoa, how did I do that? How did I get here? Why am I here? And so for both Mark and his sister Mallory, they each made decisions for all the right reasons. Our bad guy, our antagonist made decisions for all the right reasons. And as because of their three decisions, as the book goes along, we have a situation where literally the peace of the world and the balance of world power hangs on their three decisions. Yeah, and I think that just um, gives us as readers you know, and I love it when, when you can trace things back to something simple, like decisions, because we think, oh, well, that decision doesn't matter. Well, many times it doesn't matter what I had for lunch today, <laughs> right? But, you know, if, but some of times our decisions do matter. And I think it's always great to be reminded of how they interplay with other things. And, and that's one of the fun things, I think, as an author to, to kind of 
make those connections and show how, you know, one decision can impact the world, really. It can. And what is the motivation behind the decisions? Because the motivation is much more powerful a lot of times even than the decision that is made. What is motivating me or pressuring me or pushing me or what is pulling me in a particular direction? And so I really got to look at that um, in the patent. And so the theme behind it, the patent is one weapon will make your enemy invincible. And, mm. you know, just, just that one, we have also that, um, you know, the one weapon will make your enemy invincible and that we have one person who stands in the gap between an invincible enemy and world peace. Right, right. Well, that's, that's, yeah. I think I might need to get a copy and read it myself. <laughs> well, here's, here's the fun part. If you go to my website, PeggySueWells.com, you can get a free copy of the patent. Uh, you can download the ebook and read it. I would love to have more people read it because again, it's a kickoff for a series. So okay. the more people, yeah, the more people that can read it, the better. So of course, if you want to buy it, you can find it at all the places that you buy books at, but just go to the website. I invite you to please come and download a copy for yourself, share it with your friends, share it with people that you know would like to read it. And then let me know what you think. I would love to know your feedback. Great. Well, and that's a great way to end our show today because we are almost out of time, Peggy Sue. So thank you for being on. Thanks for having me, Sarah. It's always good to talk about books. Yes. You have been listening to The Romantic Side of Suspense. I'm your host, Sarah Hamricker, and I'm so glad you joined me. Today, I've been talking with Peggy Sue Wells. She's a USA Today and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. And you can find out how to connect with her and read more about her and her books with the notes to this podcast, stay tuned though for an excerpt from the patent. Now an excerpt from The Patent by P.S. Wells and Max Garwood. Roughly, two soldiers dragged the gumby-legged prisoner to a chair at the crude table. In front of Mark sat a computer. On the screen streamed a picture. Look closely. The colonel's voice spoke into his ear. Mark struggled to recover from the recent lack of necessary air. The fuzzy image that danced before his vision began to clear, but what he saw made no sense. Through the video camera, Max viewed his own living room in the home where he had grown up. As a kid, Mark spent evenings in this place with his family. His dad smoked a pipe that smelled like roasted cherries while his mom read aloud. Mark and his sister sprawled in front of the fireplace. It's my house! Mark swung on them in rage. Get out of my house! Get out of my life! Watch closely. The colonel spoke Chinese into a satellite phone. In moments... Mark watched in horror as three men dragged a woman to the couch and pinned her down. Though it was difficult to see her face, he recognized her hair, the color of cinnamon. Mallory. Monster! Teeth clenched, Mark yelled, Don't let them touch her! The colonel spoke into the cell phone while Mark watched the screen. He needed to protect his sister. Bile rose in his throat 
as three men held Mallory on the couch. Moving close to the camera, a fourth man held a syringe in one hand and a small rubber-topped bottle in the other. Perhaps you recognize the bottle and syringe? The colonel let the words hang between them. Don't! Mark shuddered as he recalled the nightmare he had just experienced with the drug. Please! Succinocholine, the colonel narrated. An effective paralytic, administered intramuscularly, the drug immediately depolarizes the muscles while leaving them flaccid. From somewhere far from his home in Indiana, Mark watched helplessly as the needle pierced Mallory's arm. Immediately, she will experience fasciculation, like a brief seizure. Then she will be completely paralyzed, unable to even breathe for herself. Beginning at his sister's head, a rapid seizure-like movement quaked through her body. Then she stopped breathing. Not one muscle of her body can move, the colonel narrated. Her diaphragm no longer pulls necessary oxygen into her pretty lungs. The man who had administered the deadly injection positioned a breathing bag over her face. Mercifully, air entered and exited his sister's body. This is me breathing for her, the colonel whispered the words in his ear. Mark counted. Every five seconds, her chest rose with the oxygen delivered to her. For a full minute, the man who held the bag breathed for his sister. And this is me not breathing for her. The colonel spoke into the phone. On the screen, a wiry man with dark hair pressed a cell phone to his ear and then said something Mark couldn't hear to the one who held the breathing bag. The bag stopped the simple yet vital function and lay like a deflated balloon against his sister's face. A human typically experiences brain damage when deprived of air for longer than four minutes. Don't hurt her, Mark pleaded. Now that I have your attention, let's talk about your cooperation. Give her air, for God's sake! I will provide what she needs when you give me what I require. He pointed to the time at the top right of the computer screen. She has been without oxygen for a full minute. He clasped his hands behind his back as if giving a college course lecture. Hypoxia, or hypoxiation, is a pathological condition in which the body as a whole is deprived of an adequate supply of oxygen. The brain in your sister's lovely head will suffer cerebral anoxia. Stop it! Mark fought against his bonds. His captor went on. 
continued oxygen deprivation, as is happening here, results in coma, seizures, cessation of brainstem reflexes, and... He paused to allow Mark to mentally take the next step. Brain death. Hungrily, Mark's eyes bore into the 12-inch screen for any hint that his sister might really be all right. The colonel indicated the time on the screen. It has been two full minutes. As you experienced, these physical malfunctions set in quickly. Mark's inventive mind searched for some way to oppose these bullies, save Mallory, and refuse the Messner device to these men. If they were willing to suffocate Mallory in front of him, what were they capable of doing when they realized he couldn't make the weapon functional? Yet he couldn't allow Mallory to die. Okay! The word burst from Mark's lip. Give her air! Have we reached an understanding? The colonel slowly drug out the words. Yes! Mark slumped. Just let her live. The colonel spoke into the cell phone. The airbag remained motionless on Mallory's face. Hurry! Mark heard the desperation in his own voice and didn't care. Be patient. The colonel waved the cell phone. It takes a moment for the signal to reach the satellite orbiting in space and then transfer to the cell phone somewhere in your house in Indiana. When Mark thought he would explode with panic, at last he saw movement on the screen. The dark-haired man, who reminded Mark of an insect, put the cell phone to his ear and then spoke quickly to his partner. The airbag inflated. Mallory's chest rose and fell once more with vital oxygen. The colonel turned off the computer. Hey, turn it on! How do I know she's all right? His nemesis crossed his arms. The drug will wear off in about two minutes. And? How do I know she's safe from you and your pet Rottweilers? She is safe as long as you give me... The Messner device. Mark filled in the rest of the sentence. I got that part. Excellent. He waved toward the guard who cut Mark's bonds. I will show you where you will assemble your invention. Thanks for listening to The Romantic Side of Suspense with Sarah Hammerker. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. You can sign up to receive notifications of upcoming podcasts and listen to previous editions at sarahhammakerfiction.com.